With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to New York. Attention fans, this is the Devil's State of Mind Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano! Devils fans, my name is Neil Valpiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule and your day to take a listen to this. And we have a couple of topics that we're going to get to today. Um, and just before I make an introduction to the special guest that we have on for this one, um, I just want to remind everybody that the first episode of the Devils State of Mind podcast is already up on the Hockey Podcast Network website and several other places, including Spotify and, you know, Google Podcasts and other places like that. So make sure you go take a listen to that one. But today we have our first guest, our first special guest coming on to the Devil's State of Mind podcast. And he's a current contributor at Pucks and Pitchforks, which is a Devil's uh, fan, you know, a website. And, you know, I've followed it for many years. I've read a lot of the articles. It's great. They do an amazing job of keeping Devils fans informed and, and different things like that. He's a former Anaheim Ducks and San Jose Sharks blogger at HockeyBuzz.com. He's for hockey historian at the Hockey Writers. He's a former New Jersey Devil and NHL columnist at Rant Sports and many other stops along the way. It is with great pleasure that we welcome on Steve Palumbo to the Devils State of Mind podcast. Steve, welcome, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a it's a great honor to be your first official guest. I appreciate that. That's that's kind of a cool uh, a cool little sidebar there. Absolutely. Well, we're we're certainly you know happy to have you on, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, you know our listeners you know take a listen to what you have to say about what's going on in Devil's World. So let's kind of jump right into it. So here's the big thing that has been talked about. I would probably say the last week. Um, and in the first episode of this podcast, we talked about, you know, potential candidates for the head coaching position. Well, it turns out, apparently, both Pierre Lebrun and Darren Drager both have reported that the Devils are down to four coaching candidates, and two of them, I believe, are, are known, and there are still two that we're not fully sure who they might be. The two that we do know is Elaine Nazardine, who was the interim head coach after John Hines was fired, and Peter LaVillette. And Darren Drager said, I believe is either earlier today or yesterday, he had said that it looks like Peter LaVillette is the front runner 
to be the Devils' next head coach. Now, obviously, the Devils have decided to uh, have announced that they're taking a coaching search pause. So it might it looks like it's going to be a little bit longer before we really kind of find out, you know, what we're going to go from there. We're still not sure who's going to be the full-time general manager, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. But Steve, after hearing some of these reports, what are your initial reactions? Uh, I was a little surprised at first uh, hearing LaViolette because I, I, I kind of figured, you know, LaViolette's one of the big names that are out there, but I didn't think he would be interested in the New Jersey, New Jersey job. He's, uh, he's a guy who's had a lot of success. He's taken three teams to the Stanley Cup. He's, he's won a Stanley Cup with Carolina. He's, he's, he works very well with veteran teams. You know, he had a lot of success with Nashville uh, and Philadelphia. Um, you know, the name that was out there that, that all of Devil's Nation wanted was Gerard Gallant. And I think that was some recency bias with what he was able to do with, uh, with Las Vegas. And, and I was on that same page. You know, I wanted Gerard Gallant. He, he did, I mean, to be able to do what he did with an expansion team and then be able to possibly carry that over into New Jersey, obviously who wouldn't want that. But the more I've had a chance to digest it a little bit, LaViolette would, is more of the sexier choice. You know, he's a, he's a guy who's, who's got the proven track record. He's done it with multiple organizations. And who knows? I mean, the Devils, despite the struggles they, they went through this season, are not that far off from being a competitive hockey team. Are they a Stanley Cup quality team? Obviously, we have a little ways to go. But a playoff caliber team, a few pieces, a little tweak here and there. Some people, ha- some, uh, some players haven't bounced back seasons. And who knows? A guy like LaViolette could be the right guy to, to point the ship in the right direction. Yeah, you know, I think my, my top two choices that I said before were definitely both Gerard Gallant and Peter Laviolette. And I think it, it is true to say that I think the sexier pick is probably Peter Laviolette because of his track record. He helped Carolina win a Stanley Cup. He took Philadelphia to the Stanley Cup Finals. He took Nashville to the Stanley Cup Finals. And he helped, you know, P.K. Subban kind of elevate his game even more. So that could be another reason why New Jersey might decide to go with Peter Laviolette. I think if it was either Laviolette or Gallant, I think that Devils fans would be pretty happy with getting either one of them because they're both considered right now to be kind of big-time coaches, and I don't think the Devils have really been able to get a big-time coach to come to New Jersey in quite some time. So I think that, you know, getting one of these guys is definitely um, is definitely something that I'm sure Devils fans will be happy, happy to see. Now, you know, again, we, we had mentioned that you know, the Devils are taking a pause when it comes to, you know, making a decision on their head coach. Now, I don't know how long that pause is going to be. And I would hope to think that, you know, the pause is going to end sooner rather than later because there are many other teams that are going to be looking for head coaches. And I think you want to try to strike while the iron is hot. But I also understand the fact that we still have to find a general manager. So my, my next question to you, to you, Steve, is this. When, when you look at Let's just talk about Gallant and Peter Laviolette. Just talk about those two, because it seems like that I think a lot, even in the Devils organization, it might be it might come down to those two. Do you feel that one has an advantage over another, or do you feel that they both, you know, contribute in different ways that could help the Devils take that next step? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, uh, I think they both would bring something different to the team, but but I think. The most important thing is that, like you mentioned, they are a big name candidate. And -hmm. I think when we went into last season, you know, winners of the summer and and Jack Hughes and and Nikita Gusev and P.K. Subban, everyone felt really good. But the one thing they didn't address was the coaching situation. And I think when we, you know, John Hines was Shiro's guy in in Pittsburgh, uh, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and he brought him over here. And I think that was always a, a lingering question in the back of our minds. 
in order for the Devils, I feel, to get to take that next step, they have to make the progression to bring in a big name coach. So either bringing either one of those guys in, I think for the time being, at least will will satisfy ownership and satisfy the fan base. Now, as far as results on the ice, that's a whole different story. You know, each one has a little bit different coaching style. Um, but I, I do like the the idea. I mean, we're paying uh, PK Subban $10 million a year. The guy struggled mightily this year, but he is a face of a franchise type player, especially in the Newark area in New Jersey. I think he's somebody who could really bring a face to the devils and, and the idea of, of LaViolette maybe bringing back his game is, is enticing, but you can't, I don't know if you had a chance to see the, the Vegas documentary that, that came out not too long ago. Um, and, and what Gallant was able to do with that, that team of misfits, you know, before the season, they were, people talked about them being possibly the worst expansion franchise in the history of the sport. You know, mm-hmm. the, the different players that came in. And, and then you had that tragic shooting at the Mandalay Bay, and he was able to rally the team together to, to make the players feel, you know, that, that uh, some type of way to where they could elevate their games. You know, those guys didn't want you. We want you here. The city of Las Vegas needs us right now and able to take – that team and bring them all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So I think there's a lot to be said for that as well as far as getting guys motivated because at times during the season, you know, Damon Severson, Will Butcher, there were, there were several different guys in the team that just weren't, weren't playing up to their, you know, standards. So right. uh, a guy like that may be able, able to take Butcher to that next level. So, you know, it's going to be tough. Whatever one comes in, they got their work cut out for them, but I, I think the, the results – Will, will, will be beneficial for the long run for the Devils going forward. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, when you look at both of these coaches, I think that there, there's a lot of positive that comes with both. Now, when Peter Lavulette was let go by the, by the Nashville Predators, it kind of surprised me because even though I knew the team was kind of struggling at that moment, they were still in a playoff position. So I didn't think that, you know, them firing uh, Lavulette was that fully, you know, justifiable, but I could also understand it. It was the same thing with Gallant. I mean, Gallant, the, the Vegas Golden Knights were still in a playoff spot when they let him go. So, again, both of these guys in many ways were surprisingly, you know, fired. And, you know, when you look at Laviolette, you say, okay, he's taken multiple teams to a Stanley Cup final and won a Stanley Cup. So he is a proven winner and a guy who's going to have, you know, accountability throughout the entire locker room. I think when it comes to that accountability, you could also say that about Gallant because I think Gallant demands a lot from his players. He wants them to play with a chip on their shoulder have some pride when they're on the ice. And even though he doesn't have the same track record as Gallant, I think that, you know, in many ways, he's very similar to Lafayette. So it all just kind of depends on, you know, which guy that whoever is in charge when it comes to the general manager spot uh, prefers. Now, another thing that came up that I thought was kind of interesting was that, and I believe Darren Drager did say this as well, that apparently Gallant is not as interested coming to New Jersey and, and being with a young team. as we, and, and that kind of surprised me because I would have thought that, you know, LaViolette would have been more interested in going to a team that's maybe a little bit closer to being a Stanley Cup contender, and he's just the guy that they take them over the hump to getting there, whereas I thought Gallant was more of a guy that the team could start from square one with him and he could just build the team the way he sees fit. Do you feel that, you know, first of all, do you feel that the, that rumor might possibly be true? And if so, you know, what could be the reasoning other than obviously being with the, you know, a young team like the Devils would be the reasoning behind Gallant maybe not being the next head coach of the Devils? Well, to be honest with you, you know, Gallant might be feeling himself a little bit. You know, he might be at the point where he feels like he's, 
he's at a point where he, he just wants to be able to, to have a team that's ready to win now and, and maybe push them and give them that, that extra step to, to win a Stanley Cup. I'm not sure he really feels as though he wants to take a step back with the young team and progress. If you look at his last three stops, they were all three years. Three years, three years, three years. So that's a, that's a relatively small window. Are the Devils going to be Stanley Cup contenders in three years? Who knows? Now, you, you look at LaViolette, each, his window, other than his first stop with the Islanders, were five years. Right. He, uh, he made it six years with Nashville before they let him go in the middle of the season. So uh, he's got, he may have a little more patience, maybe a little more willing to, uh, uh, to kind of wait it out a little bit. I, I just think Gallant, when he kind of sat back and looked, he thought, well, you know, I might have a better opportunity if I wait. Now, if you, if you look at the teams that are out of the playoffs now, most of them, if not all of them, besides the Devils, have made it clear that their coaches are safe. So that, that, the, the opportunity for a job in the NHL is shrinking, especially among the seven worst teams in the, in the league. Maybe he's, wait, he's, he's hoping for a situation like Tampa Bay. If they get bumped early and they fire John Stevens, maybe he could scoop in and grab a job like that. Then again, that, that would benefit the Devils because then John Stevens would be available. Right. So, you know, that, that's the only thing I can, uh, that I can fathom as to why he would not be interested in this job. Yeah, no, I was kind of surprised when I first heard that. Because, and and it, was a, it was a good point to mention to a lot of Devils fans that, look, just because that the team wants somebody to come in doesn't necessarily mean that the guy that you want wants to be here. Now, right. obviously with Devils Twitter, they did a fantastic job of convincing the Devils to get Nikita Gusev. And I, yep. I continued saying that. That was mm. the Devils fans that got Gusev. Absolutely. Jersey. They convinced them. And, you know, everybody's thinking, well, maybe we could do it with Gallant. And, I mean, if that were to end up being the case – I would once again want to give credit where credit is due to the fans of New Jersey saying, hey, we're doing a pretty good job of convincing our ownership to actually, you know, step in and, you know, make these moves. So I think with either one of them, it's going to work out because I think they'll be beneficial in different ways. Maybe not always the same, but I think that the Devils just need a guy who understands what it takes to win and not only what it takes to win, but to, you know, go all the way and win a Stanley Cup. So I think that – the Devils are in the driver's seat when it comes to their evaluation of these coaches and also doing, you know, the interviews and researching. So I give them a lot of points for doing that. So the next thing that I want to talk about was this. And uh, Travis Zajac uh, was interviewed by the Devils recently, and he did make a quote that said this, quote, I still think I have a role on the team and I can help. I know I've got a lot of hockey left and I want to be a part of this group. I see the talent, end quote. Travis Zajac is getting close to the, I believe he's going into his last year of his deal that he got when he, uh, after the 2012 season, when, um, uh, when he got it after having a, a really good, a really, really good uh, playoffs. Um, he's still a very, very solid, you know, uh, face-off guy. I think he's one of the top in the NHL percentage-wise when it comes to winning face-offs. Do you feel, Steve, that Zajac would be a good guy to keep, you know, for the rest of his career and just let him, kind of help out the rest of the team or do you feel that the Devils should try to you know have him step aside and move over for the younger players uh I absolutely think that Travis should stick around he he kind of exemplifies what it means to be a devil I mean the fact that he came out and said that he sees the talent he wants to be here to me it's always for the Devils it's always been about the logo on the front not the name in the back and Travis is 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 that type of player you know the the Devils have one of the youngest teams in the NHL you have to have some veteran leadership on that team 
Um, and, and Zajac definitely has the voice. Of I the, think that he's somebody that I could see finishing his career with the Devils. There have been other guys that have come along the way that I thought would stick around and, and they ended up leaving. But Zajac is that type of guy that I, I just really cannot see him playing anywhere else. And I think he brings more value to the Devils now than he would going to another team, if that makes any sense. No, I mean, that does make sense. And um, I think your audio went out a little bit. So it was, um, I, I think I may have missed one or two things you said. But no, I definitely get where you're coming from. And, and also just talking about Zajac in general, that it has been a little bit frustrating over time where it seems like at times he's not the same goal scorer that he once was, you know, especially when it looked like after getting the massive deal that he got from Lamorello, that it seemed like he was just, you know, underperforming. But I think as he's gotten older, he's been able to be successful in other ways, like being really good in the faceoffs, particularly on the penalty kill. And you saw throughout the year with different line combinations that he was involved in, particularly when it came to Blake Coleman and Nikita Gusev, he really started to thrive. And I think he's one of those guys that he, you know, he definitely um, can help, you know, benefit from, you know, playing with the younger players and vice versa. So, I mean, I could definitely see him being a guy that could stick around for the rest of his career in New Jersey. He even said, you know, they gave me my, they gave me the opportunity to play in the NHL. I've loved playing in New Jersey since I got here and I'm very, very happy that I'm here. So, you know, that was something that I thought was kind of interesting that, um, you know, the, you know, Zajac was talking about. And I, and I know that that was a question that people were wondering as to, you know, how many more years does Zajac have left? And, you know, another thing to remember is that during the trade deadline, it did appear that Zajac might, might be on the move to, I think, it was either going to be the Islanders or possibly go back to where he's originally from, and that is Winnipeg and go to the Jets. But he yeah. decided against the fact of putting on his uh, – his no trade clause. He turned on his no trade clause and said, I, I don't want to go anywhere. So I think that's why they ended up moving Andy Green instead, because I think that they wanted to move one of them. Um, I heard that they could have possibly moved both of them, but again, Zajac didn't want to leave. So I can understand that. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Now, let's talk about another topic that really kind of surprised me uh, that I saw, you know, early this morning. And this, and it was this, that there's apparently only two candidates technically for the devil's general manager spot in that and one of them is obviously tom fitzgerald who i personally think should end up being the gm i mean he's done so much already even this offseason while he's still considered the interim gm and it's you know you kind of wonder to yourself like you know how much longer is it going to be till they remove it well apparently it's been reported that eddie olchek who's a broadcaster with NBCSN at the moment has apparently been in talks with the Devils about maybe coming on as a general manager, or as they called it, the chief operating officer. They didn't even call it GM. They said chief right. operating officer, which I was like, I don't think I've ever heard an NHL team use that term. But, Steve, when, when I look at this, it was kind of a surprise because I said, you know, Eddie Olchek doesn't have that much experience when it comes to the front office and things like that. And I don't know how Devils fans would feel if he were to get the job over someone like, you know, Fitzgerald, what, what are your thoughts or what are your, you know, feelings towards, you know, hearing something like that? Well, I mean, it's very similar to when we heard uh, a couple weeks back that Pierre Maguire, you know, there was a rumor that Pierre Maguire had been interviewed as well. And he came out and said, no, that's not true. Right. Um, you know, the, the fascination with the TV guys, you know, and Olchek's a very bright guy, but I, <laughs> you talk, you want to have a fan base go crazy and just kind of lose it you'd bring in a guy like Eddie Olchek, somebody out of left field, you know, mm -hmm. there's talk of Mike Gillis as well. But in my personal opinion, I agree with you. Tom Fitzgerald has done everything humanly possible 
to have that interim tag removed from him. You know, he even interviewed for the Minnesota job, you know, earlier in the season, they obviously gave right. it to, to somebody else. But um, I mean, the, tr- the moves he made at the trade deadline, those are, those are franchise altering trades. And you don't just let anybody, you know, have the keys to the kingdom like that and make those types of moves. And I think he did an outstanding job. You know, um, I think he did the best that he could with the situation. And I think he's been nothing but professional and, and handled himself very well. And he's a type of guy that is very well respected around the league. And I, I, I feel like there's, there's talk in the NHL circles that there, there's kind of like shocked why he hasn't been given the full-time gig mm-hmm. yet. So if he doesn't get it, I, I would be absolutely shocked. Then, he, you know, the, the thing that's bothering me is now we hear that the devil's ownership group is maybe interested in buying the Mets. Right. You know, do they, are they trying to get their hands in too many different things between the 76ers, the devils, the Mets to, to focus on, on the hockey team? That's, that's a little concerning to me right now. So. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it was a shock, and it was very concerning to me when I heard at first that Joshua Harris and that was very interested in owning the Mets. Now, I believe Harris is only worth, I think, $1.4 billion, so he's not worth <laughs> enough that you know he could single-handedly buy the Mets from the Wilpons. And look, right. for you Mets fans out there who also happen to be Devils fans, you know that the Wilpons are going to make this very difficult for anybody to buy the Mets because I legitimately don't think – that they want to sell the team. I think that they are forced, they're being forced into the situation. And as a result, you have several different people that have come in and, and, and tried to offer to buy the team. And I think with Joshua Harris, he would probably have to get the approval from the rest of the ownership group and probably have to get some private investors to invest in it for him to come up with the money. But for if, if he were to buy the Mets and then all of a sudden you have the, the owners, they own the 76ers, the Devils, and the Mets. Where you know, where's how much attention is going to be to the hockey team? And I think, right. and this is no knock on the Devils, but let, let's be real. Basketball and, you know, also to a lesser extent, baseball maybe are a little bit more popular and maybe to the people who own the team might be a little bit more interested in having success with. So I think that that's something to be concerned about. Um, hopefully it, it doesn't happen because, I, again, I don't know who then would actually end up being the boss for uh, Tom Fitzgerald, whoever the GM is, I, I want to see some stability when it comes to guys being here on a consistent basis, trying to, to constantly make the team better. So it's definitely, you know, something that's kind of interesting. And, and yeah, with, with Tom Fitzgerald still being the interim GM, it, it's like, you know, Hey, we're, we're almost in the mid June and you know, the draft lottery is coming up in less than two weeks. And are you going to have him running the draft lottery? Like, are you going to have him right there? You know, when it comes to then scouting, are you going to like have like where exactly is the finish line for Tom Fitzgerald to be approved as general manager? And I think if he were to be hired, that would be very frustrating. And I just don't see that happening because the amount of times he's been asked to be interviewed, you know, on, on different segments to talk about the team. It's like, OK, like they still have to put interim GM tag because he's still there. And it's and it's just kind of a head scratching thing. And. You know, the thing that really caught my eye, and I mentioned this in the first episode of this podcast, what I, what I mentioned that I really liked about Tom Fitzgerald is how honest he is with the fan base and the media and everybody about where this team is. He says, look, we are not a Stanley Cup contender. We might not be there for the next two or three years. We have to actually rebuild and try to put the right pieces in place for our team to be, to get to that point. And I was like, I never heard that really that much from Ray Shiro and this, and I've already liked what Tom Fitzgerald's done. And then he goes out and makes some of the moves that he makes. He gets 
a first-round pick and a top prospect from Tampa for Blake Coleman. He goes out and gets, you know, he gets, you know, a, a, another solid, you know, minor league goaltender for Louis Domingue when everybody thought Louis Domingue wasn't worth anything right. at this point. Um, you know, he traded, you know, he got, he got something, you know, at least something from, you know, for, get, for giving up Wayne Simmons. And I think the biggest move that he made that actually wasn't a move he made at all, and that was trading Kyle Palmieri, because it did look like from a lot of the rumors that Kyle Palmieri was on the move. Particularly, yep. I heard it was Boston, which yep. wouldn't have surprised me because that's the type of move that Boston would make. But when the trade deadline came and went, and there was no you know, announcement that Palmieri had been traded, I was relieved, and then I loved this because uh, I think it was Abby uh, Mastraco from, you know, The Athletic who – actually, I think she, she is a writer for The Devils, and I think she's at The Athletic mm-hmm. and also with uh, – I believe also NJ.com as well. I think she asked um, – she asked Tom Fitzgerald, she said, why did, you not, why did you not trade Kyle Palmieri? And what I loved was his answer. He goes, why do I want to trade a 30-goal score? Like, right. you don't get that many opportunities to have a 30-goal score in your system already. So it, it's clear to me that the Devils want to keep Kyle Palmieri long-term. I think that there's a good chance he might sign an extension. And Kyle Palmieri himself said that he wanted to be here and help be part of the solution to the Devils, you know, becoming a successful franchise again. So with Tom Fitzgerald, he's just been a very honest person, even in the interviews now about, you know, how's scouting going, how's, you know, planning for, you know, everything that's going to happen this offseason. And he's just said, like, you know, hey, look, it's been – it's been very difficult because of the circumstances were like, he's not sugarcoating anything. I think he's continuously trying to prove that he's the right man for the job. And I think we're at that point now where it's just a matter of time before they give him the nod. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And it's a great point you brought up there with the whole Kyle Palmieri situation. When, when he came out and said that to me, that was, that was taking true ownership of the team and, and just kind of laying it out there. You know, he, he said, we need to, we need to have men on this team. You know, we need to have uh, guys in this team that can be leaders. And, and Palmieri is, is part of that um, situation. I, I think, you know, to me, more so than even Ray Shiro did, Tom Fitzgerald feels like our guy. You know what I mean? Like he feels like he, he, he belongs in that position running the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he's always been, you know, very honest, very straightforward. Um, and then, you know, bringing in Yanni Kokanen, in, that, that was a sneaky good move. That, that, was that kid's very good, you know. So uh, he's done so many good things that I just couldn't possibly, you know, fathom them moving on with him, you know, moving on from him. So my, my hope is that, that the Devils do the right thing and, and they – they, they do that first so that we can then move forward with the rest of the offseason because this is a huge, huge offseason for the Devils. There's going to be, what, we got eight, nine months in between yeah. games being played. A lot of things that have got to go on here, and you got to have the, the right guy, you know, in control. And I think that, that Fitzgerald's that guy. Without, without a doubt. And, you know, look, even from a player standpoint, you have to say to yourself, okay, we, we don't have very much stability right now because we don't know who the GM is going to be. We don't know who the head no coach stability. is going to be here. What was that? There's no stability right now. Right, yeah, there's, exactly. there's seemingly no stability, yeah. Exactly. So it, it's a question of just trying to figure out, okay, you know, you know, where is, you know, where is that stability going to come from and when is it going to happen? Because I'm sure now some of the players on the Devils are saying, you know, hey, it's June. Can we figure this out now? Now, right. I understand that things are different because of the fact that play was stopped early because of the coronavirus pandemic. And now the season's going to be off season is going to be a lot longer 
for the Devils and the six other teams that didn't make the uh, the playoff format. Um, you know, but it, it's definitely something to uh, to mention. Now, something that you know really jumped out at me because I think out of all the areas that was really struggling the most, I think this year the defense definitely got exposed. There were some guys that really struggled from the get go. You know, including someone like PK Subban. When it came to just preventing the amount of shots that went, you know, at Mackenzie Blackwood or Corey Schneider or Louis Demay. And there are some potential guys in the farm system, like, you know, Ty Smith. Is this that year that he makes the jump to the big leagues? We don't know. Um, there's also some other guys like Kevin Ball. Does, you know, is he ready to go to maybe make it? Maybe they start in the minors and go from there. There's also free agency. So the, the, you know, the, the real question is simply, you know, what, what, it's, what type of route do the Devils want to take with this? I know that some people had mentioned, you know, what about the Devils have enough money to go after someone like Alex Petrangelo? And I go, well, here's the thing. Alex Petrangelo, who I really love as a defenseman, and yes, I would get all excited about, he is 30 years of age. The market is not where it was going to be because the NHL is not making the money that it was going to make because of TV. And maybe they can make some of it back with this playoff happening in a couple months. But, you know, I just don't think, you know, the Devils would be a good place for, you know, to bring him in because of the fact that the team is not ready to be a Stanley Cup contender just yet. And if you go from being on a team that just won the Stanley Cup and who knows, maybe can make a run in this playoff tournament to win another Stanley Cup, do you really want to leave that just to make uh, more money with a team like New Jersey than you would make in? St. Louis. So, so Steve, when you heard this quote, you know, you know, how do you feel the Devils could fix the back end? Well, when I first heard the quote, you know, defense has been a struggle for this team for quite some time. But when I first heard it, I thought, yeah, okay, great. Addressing the back end, that's that's going to be fantastic. But you know, we've been taught that they've been saying that for years with this team. We got to address the back end. Then the more that I thought about it, I thought, is he? is he subliminally, subliminally giving a message to his own teammate, his own uh, team? So some of the guys that are playing harder, uh, you know, moving the puck around. Is he, is he trying to, to fire a shot and, and trying to let these guys know, Hey, you know, you guys weren't very hard to play. You know, Will Butcher had a, a, a major regression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at times the, the devils just seemed, the defense just seemed very, they were very soft. You know, that their spacing was wrong. They just were very lazy on their assignments. They didn't clear the puck very well. There were a lot of things that they did, you know, that cost the devil's goals. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I thought possibly, you know, he's, he's kind of, you know, letting them know, hey, if you want to stay on this team, we need to fix a few things there. And a good point, you know, obviously, who wouldn't want Peter Angelo on their team? But a, a guy like that is not going to want to come to a team that's rebuilding when, when right. he's known nothing but success and he's on one of the best teams in the league right now. And, you know, he, he's – a guy like that would probably be willing to take less money to, to play on a winning team than to come and, and try to solve all the that ails the devil's defense. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So, no, again, I thought that was another, you know, little coy move by Fitzgerald kind of being the leader of the club and just kind of saying, hey, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, we, we just weren't hard enough to play against. And, and, you know, some of the guys should be pointing fingers in, at themselves that are currently on the roster. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it, I, I definitely thought that it was somewhat of a pointing at the finger at the guys that are on the team right now saying, hey, you guys do need to get better or we're going to have to make, you know, some more changes. And, you know, I appreciate that because it works in both ways. One, it motivates the players who are on the team now to try to get better so that they can be on this team. 
And it also just sends a message to everybody that, hey, we are going to do whatever it takes to make this team better in all facets. And that includes the back end. And I think for a couple of years, we were so used to someone like either Mackenzie Blackwood or even Corey Schneider a few years back to make, you know, 30, 40, 50 saves a game that we really didn't talk about the defense as much as maybe some, some of us, you know, others actually talked about it. But I think this year, because of the fact that Corey continued to struggle due to injury, Louis Domingue at times was hot garbage, and Mackenzie Blackwood, as much as he would do well, he would have a tough game here and there. I think it became more obvious to the fan base that, hey, this defense needs to be fixed. We have some guys here that are, not make, that are not doing well. I mean, one guy that I know a lot of people seem to really, really not like is uh, Mirko Mueller because I think a lot of yes. people say all he does is just stand around and do nothing half the time. And I can actually agree with that because there are times where I feel like he just – you don't even notice that he's on the team, on the ice because of the fact that he's, you know, not much of a, you know, either offensive or defensive defenseman. He's kind of a – an average defenseman that's like you're in your third defensive pairing. And then you look at, you know, even with Andy Green, who actually led the team in block shots and was actually one of the top shot blockers in the NHL, even he at times, you know, was a step slow. And that could be because of age and other things like that. So I'm glad that Fitzgerald admits the fact that the back end needs work. So, so that's a really good thing. And, and, I'm, and that gets me excited. Let's, let's not beat around the bush, too. John Hines' system was terrible. You know, he put he, his Thank team. You <laughs> Thank you. I said, I said that a hundred thousand times and I'm so glad someone other than myself has said that. He obviously, he did not, his, his defense wasn't, you know, as stout as, as it should have been to play that kind of system. And, and it often left the goalies hung out to dry and, you know, they could have contributed to some of the injuries that, uh, that ailed Corey Schneider, you know, that, that first game. Uh, against Winnipeg he went in is looking solid he had to make that crazy save and he just wasn't the same the rest of the season and going to Mirko Mueller real quick you know I covered the the Sharks for hockey buzz for for a long time and you know he was a I mean a very highly rated prospect in their system and he just couldn't get in to the lineup because of the amount of defensive depth that the Sharks had so you know when the Devils first brought him over I thought it was going to be a good solid move but I just think that the Devils have kind of botched his development a little Mm -hmm. bit and he kind of second guesses himself on everything that he does so I'm hoping that whoever the next coach is can can kind of help him regain some of that confidence at least make him um, you you know an an NHL level defenseman at least a mediocre one right (laughs) better go ahead go ahead I just it would be an improvement over what we saw last year. I really feel bad for the kid because I, I really like him. I think he's got a lot of talent, but I just think he just does he's just lost so many games out there. He just didn't know what he was supposed to be doing and it showed. Yeah. No, and look, this was this was a tough year for every player on this team. You know, you had such high expectations going into it. A lot of people expecting, you know, us to make the playoffs. I mean, even myself I did, but I also was very conservative when I said, look even though this team is a lot more talented and can make the playoffs, John Hines is still the head coach. And we've had this problem over and over again. As I've mentioned before, and this is something that people don't always agree with me, but I I always say that the Devils made the playoffs a couple years ago, you know, in spite of what John Hines was doing. John Hines at times was trying to shove the system down these players' throats. And if it wasn't for Taylor Hall just ignoring it and playing the way he's capable of, I don't Mm -hmm. think the Devils – make the playoffs that year and maybe John Hines would have been fired sooner and maybe that was the you know 
like a lot of people said, the, one of the worst things that could have happened the last couple of years for the Devils was actually making the playoffs because I think it forced the team to move ahead way too soon and it forced a lot of things to be rushed. So I think that, you know, once the moves were made when John Hines was fired and then eventually, you know, Ray Shiro was, was fired as well, it was just kind of a disappointing thing because you go through five years of hoping that one day you'll be a Stanley Cup contender and now it just feels like we're going back to square one again, and maybe right. we're not. Maybe we're going to square two instead of square <laughs> one, where we're we're taking a step back to move two steps forward. Like that's, I think, a lot of Devils fans hope. And, and what I also hope is that the organization is a little bit more honest with the fans, saying where this team is going to be. One guy that I think that I have really been sympathetic with, you know, on this team has to be Jack Hughes, because I don't think any rookie could have gone through the type of season that Jack Hughes went through. Matter of fact, he's not—he's still considered a rookie going into next season because he hasn't played enough games. Right. It's such a—you know—he comes in as the number one overall pick. He makes the team. He struggles right out of the gate. He doesn't seem to be clicking. He gets moved to the wing several times. Finally, he starts getting some games where he's looking like he can really develop. But he definitely looks like he needs to put on some weight, like Nico Hishier was told to do a couple of years ago. And I think if Jack Hughes were to do that it would go a long way. But yeah, for Jack Hughes, he played in only 60 some odd games this year. And 61, you know, he played right. Exactly. 61 games. And he lost his head coach. He lost his general manager. Like he hasn't even had that much experience. This is definitely a welcome to the NHL situation for Jack Hughes. No doubt. The the whole thing was a circus, you know, from the time he was drafted um, to the PK Subban press conference, to the, Mm -hmm. the media tour he went through uh, to you know, he if you remember in preseason, he came out, uh, you know, on fire. You know, he's scoring goals, he's making flashy plays. Everyone's like, Oh my god, this is the, the greatest thing since sliced bread, or whatever. You know, right. and he comes in, then the regular games start, and then guys start pushing him around. He's not finding space on the ice. He's, I mean, has a rookie ever been more snake bit than him? I mean, open net hits two posts on one shot. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. he had so many opportunities, but we did see those like those flashes of brilliance that, that made him the number one overall pick, you know, the moves that he can make a couple of those breakaways where he was just effortlessly able to chip the puck over the goalie. He puts on some weight. He gets in there with the trainer. He works with the devil's trainers and they, they put him on a diet where he bulks up a little bit. He's going to be an outstanding talent in this league. And, and I think, you know, if he can overcome Everything that happened this season, it's just going to make him a better hockey player. It's going to make him, uh, you know, he's going to be able to roll with the punches a little bit more. But, but man, he, the, kid, the kid went through so much, and, and he just kept going and going and going, and he, he was able to finally get some consistency before the pause. So I just think I, I hope he's doing the right things during the break here to, to kind of bulk up, and I hope he's one of those guys that when they open up the, the ice again in New Jersey that he's one of those guys out there skating. As far as we know, it looks like Travis Zajac and Corey Schneider, who have stayed in New Jersey, are definitely going to be, you know, going back on the ice when they're allowed to. So we at least know that. We don't know how many players are going to be able to travel and come, you know, and, and play. So that, that'll be something interesting to keep our eye on. But, you know, to kind of, you know, uh, pun intended here, I would say, uh, Jack Hughes went through hell his first hell, year yes. in New Jersey, <laughs> um, w- without a doubt. He, there were times, like you mentioned, I've never seen somebody be so unlucky at times where he would have an open net and either the goaltender would make a miraculous save and rob him or it hit the post two, three, fifty times and not right. go in. 
I mean, there were times where he definitely could have had multiple goal games and he was just unlucky. But I think if he's developed correctly, which I think the Devils are capable of doing that, that he could be, you know, he could really, really, you know, be part of, you know, the main part of this franchise along with guys like Nico Hishier. Now, here's another, here's another interesting question that I think, you know, some Devils fans have definitely wanted me to get my opinion on, but I want to get yours as well, Steve, is simply this. Obviously, Andy Green, who has been the captain for the last several years, was traded away to the Islanders. There is no guarantee that Andy Green would even come back to the Devils for any reason. I don't see why they would have traded him if, if, if they didn't think he wasn't going to come back. I think that they've made it clear that they're kind of moving on from the old guard, so to speak, for the most part, because they yep. just still on the team, but they're trying to move away from that. When you look at the Devils team right now, do you feel that it is time to give someone else the captaincy or do they do something like what the Rangers have done where they just have multiple guys that have an alternate on their, on their, um, on their sweaters? Because I know that, you know, captaincy in many ways, you know, for some it's just a letter on, on a jersey. You know, there's a lot of leaders on a franchise that are not considered the captain. Do, do you feel that it is necessary for the Devils to, you know, have a captain going into next season, and if you think, and, and, you know, whether or not you agree with that or what do you think, um, my, and then my other question would be, if, if that's what you would want to see, who would you like to see the, to be the Devils captain and why? It's funny because I have a piece coming out, I think it's going to be posted tomorrow, about the other uh, coaching candidates for, I mean, the captain candidates for the Devils besides Nico Heischer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, ever the everybody wants Nico to be the captain. You know, right. that's the kind of the, the, the feeling you get from uh, Devil's universe. Um, he signed that long deal. He's, he immediately assumed leadership role. As soon as uh, uh, Taylor Hall was traded away, you see him getting in people's faces. He's out there barking. He's just, he stepped, uh, he elevated his game, but the devils have a lot of other people on that team, players on that team that have those quality, you know, qualities. Uh, Carl Palmieri is one of those guys, Travis Zajac, another one. A guy like PK Subban, mm-hmm. you know, you you have to, you, you kind of have to weigh all your options, and ultimately it's going to be up to the coach and, and GM who's going to become the captain. And I think you may go into next season with the the three alternate captain situation until they they you know if if Kyle Palmieri signs an extension, why not make him the captain? You know, right. he's the New Jersey guy. It would be kind of a, a cool story. He's 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 been on that team for a long time. He's got the the ear of the you know, the locker room listens to him and he just would be a natural leader for that team. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you, your, your goal is to focus on Jack and Nico as the, the sole uh, faces of the franchise, then, then Nico would be a, a, a natural one. But I think that that'll kind of play itself out depending on who's behind the bench and how the team kind of progresses moving forward. My opinion, the guy I would like to see be a captain is Nico Heischer. I, I love the fact that he signed long-term. I love the fact that he wants to to bring the devils back to relevance and winning again. He's, he said it when he signed that contract extension to me, despite being a, a young man, he's, he's really, really assumed the role as the next great New Jersey devil, you know, no disrespect to Jack Hughes. He mm-hmm. hasn't really uh, gotten to that point, but I think Nico wants to, to be that guy. And, you know, the, the youngest captain in devil's history was Kirk Muller. You know, I, think right. he became captain at the age of 21 which is what nico is right now so there is precedence for it but i when i was going through writing this piece i looked back and for the last 25 years the devils have only had one captain under the age of 30 and that was the one season that zach parise mm. um uh, was the captain before he right. left via free agency otherwise right. they've all been over 30 and the majority of them were defensemen right so 
if they really do want to, to kind of change the identity of the team and move into the, the 21st century, then a guy like Nico would, would be, you know, a young offensive uh, player being the leader would be the way that they would want to go. I would imagine. Yeah. You know, look, everybody has loved Nico since he came to New Jersey. Um, you know, he's, he seems to have really embraced being within with this organization. And as you mentioned, he signed a long-term extension, which I think surprised some people because they said, wow, you know, he really, you know, wants to be here long-term because I think a lot of Devils fans, particularly, you know, my age have gotten used to a lot of guys not being here, you know, after maybe two seasons or so. Right. You know, you're just like, this is just a stopgap for somewhere else. But the fact that Nico has pretty much said, without really saying it, that he wants to be here long-term. He wants to help bring the Devils back to being a franchise where they were in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's definitely, you know, something great. And I can understand why people want him to be the captain. And, and I agree. I think that he would be a, a really, good, really good guy to be a captain. I think that if that's going to be the case, they may wait another year or two for him to continue to develop as a player before they really do that. But I think now that Nico has played, I guess you, you could say he's played three seasons in the NHL. He's definitely gotten a lot of seasoning. He definitely understands how to be an NHL player. He understands the organization and the state that he plays for. And I think that that, that goes a long way. And, and, having, and maybe also considering Kyle Palmieri is a good one as well because he's a Jersey guy. And the team and the organization and the fans would grok with that. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the Devils have a lot of guys that you could definitely see being, you know, captain material. Um, definitely. It will be interesting to see if the Devils decide to announce a captain next season or if they do something like I mentioned with the Rangers where they just had several alternates and all just kind of, you know, it's just a, you know, several man, um, you know, rotation. So it'll be interesting. And I think that that's something to keep our eye on. So the last topic that I really want to uh, go over here, and uh, again, Steve, thank you so much for, for taking some time to, uh, to yeah, jump no on here. Uh, we have, I apologize to all the fans listening about some of the technical difficulties. I will uh, hopefully uh, edit those out so you guys think so <laughs> it's as clear as possible. Um, but, you know, sometimes technology doesn't work when you need it the most. That's a life lesson for all you guys out there. But my last topic that I want to discuss with you, Steve, is basically this. The draft lottery is coming up on, Ju I think it's what, June 26th. So we have about 10, 11 days until, you know, a little more than that until the NHL draft lottery. The Devils have the sixth highest chance of getting the number one overall pick. In your opinion, the first question I want to ask you is this. Do you think the Devils have a legitimate shot of getting their third first overall pick in the last four years and their second in a row? Or do you think it's more likely that they'll stay right where they are? I mean, I definitely have a legitimate chance. I mean, what they're like you said, they have the six best odds to do it. So they definitely have a chance. That said, do I want them to win the draft lottery? I'm not so sure. You know, I mean, obviously Lafreniere is a, uh, a, a generational talent. The, the kid's amazing. But I, I think that this draft is so deep that no matter where the devils fall, they're going to get a, a, a an NHL ready prospect or somebody who can make a difference in the team going forward. And I think that's, that's what makes this particular draft so exciting that, and it's going to be the, you know, it's pretty much the only thing we have to look forward to for the next, you know, nine months. So right. I, I think, you know, the, the opportunity to, to get uh, an, an excellent NHL talent within, you know, within the top 10 picks is going to be, you know, really exciting for this fan base, regardless of where they fall. 
Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. You know, I was definitely excited the first two go arounds because I had never experienced that. And I thought it was, you know, to be like the, the team that everybody's paying attention to because you got the first overall pick was phenomenal. And, you know, that, that's fine. That's all fine and dandy. But let's be honest, you don't want to be in the draft lottery that many times. You want to eventually get to the point where you're getting late first round picks because you're going long into June, you know, trying to win a Stanley Cup without a doubt. So, I think if the Devils were to somehow get the first overall pick this year, I think it would definitely cement them as the Oilers of the East. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Without a doubt. The hope is, is that since Taylor Hall is not on the team, that Taylor Hall's magic when it comes to the draft lottery doesn't happen. And, you know, we, we go from there. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens when we get to that. But you made a really good point that I agree with, that there are a lot of really good players in this draft that even if the Devils are at four, five, six, seven, they're still going to get a very good player that maybe is not NHL ready right off the bat, but maybe in a year's time could, you know, make it to the big club and really contribute. So there's some guys out there like uh, Drysdale that I'm looking at. I, I heard some Devils fans saying that they might want to take a flyer on Askarov with either the Arizona or Vancouver pick if the Devils do get that, um, you know, maybe to have as a uh, as a, another goaltender to try to, you know, maybe – help Mackenzie Blackwood or even possibly become a star himself. And, uh, you know, you got, I think you also have uh, Jack Quinn as well that people yes. are talking about. And look, is Lafreniere a great player? Absolutely. Is he a once-in-a-generation talent? Yes. But guess what? They have said the exact same thing about Jack Hughes. So, right. you know, every year – not every year, but most years you're going to have people saying that. And it does take two, three, four years before you can really say whether or not the team made a good pick. You could say with the Devils drafting Nico that that was the right decision. I know people say, well, Elias Pettersson was there at four. I understand that. But Nico has fit in very well with this organization. And who knows? Maybe Elias Pettersson doesn't do as well as he's been doing in Vancouver in New Jersey. So there's right. things like that. Maybe Nolan Patrick doesn't do well in New Jersey. We don't know. With Jack Hughes, it's way too early to tell because he hasn't even played a full season yet. And we still need another two or three years for him to develop before we can really say whether or not it was the right call to make that. So, and, and that'll be the same thing with Lafreniere, with everybody that's being drafted this year. So my next question to you, Steve, is this, where do you actually expect the Devils to fall in this draft lottery? I think they're going to stay right around six. I, mm -hmm. I think they're going to stay right where they're, they're positioned right now. You know, I really, I really don't want them to fall beyond that, but I kind of, see them in this area and I, and I do think because the talent level is so deep in this draft that you're going to see some players get drafted higher than we thought they were going to get drafted leaving other players to fall to to a team like the devils i mean i was going through and watching some uh, some some tape on some of these prospects and i am blown away by the scoring skill level of these that of some of these European and uh, international players, something the Devils haven't had, and I don't right. even know how how long. So uh, there's just so much excitement in a guy like uh, Lucas Raymond or Alexander Holtz or or Cole Perfetti or somebody like that falling to the Devils. I, I just think that that with we well, already got two strong centers in uh, in Heischer and Hughes. You get a, a wing that can score and mm -hmm. skate, and I think you you really, I mean. Wow. I mean, the sky's the limit right now. It's super exciting. And then you, you mentioned a guy like Jack Quinn and you know, they're, they're, 
I, I was listening to an interview with his coach and t- just praising this kid. And, and he may slip back a little bit and be able to fall to devil, the devils in one of those later picks um, if they're able to procure one of them. And that's another guy that I, I'm really excited about. I think there's just so much talent that right. if, if the devils somehow end up with these three picks, uh, it's, it's franchise altering. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, look, a guy like Alexander Holt, and I was talking to some of the guys on the Hockey Podcast Network on our group chat, and I said this, you know, Holt is one of those guys that if he goes to the right system, he could develop into a star, a guy that you oh, can absolutely. get, you know, at the seventh, eighth, ninth spot in the draft, and oh my God, if you develop him correctly, he's just going to take off. And so I think the Devils, in many ways, this is one of those drafts where they can win out with a lot of different guys, whoever they decide to choose. And mm-hmm. you had mentioned the fact that we obviously could possibly have three first round picks. And that actually was the last question and last point that I wanted to bring up with you is this. Do you personally expect the Devils to get those other two first round picks or do you see it going another way or, you know, you know, how do you see it playing out? Well, I'll say it's uh, it's certainly got much more complicated with <laughs> this uh, return to play format. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm more, I, I I think we have a better chance of getting the Vancouver pick Mm -hmm. than we do from getting, uh, the Arizona pick, um, uh, just based on the way that things have got to fall in line, or at least, you know, there's so many conditions on the Arizona pick for the one this year and the one last next year. Um, so right now my focus has solely been on the devil's pick and wherever the other two picks fall, if, if they, you know, they drop or they lose one of them, that will, that will play itself out later in the season. But right now I'm trying to focus on we, the one pick we know for sure that they're going to get. I, I think, you know, a team like the devils do have a right to be uh, a little bit annoyed with the way the system is, but I think the NHL tried to be as fair as they possibly could with, with this, you know, the unforeseen circumstances and the, this global pandemic. And um, so you know, they say don't count your chickens before they hatch. And um, so I'm trying not to do that. I'm just kind of focusing on that, that one pick that we know we're going to get for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something where I think, you know, if, if everything were to go the way that, you know, Devils fans are hoping, we would love to have three first round picks because of how deep this draft is. We could say, oh my goodness, we could get three talented players right away. I think realistically we have to look at it and say, look, I think Vancouver will probably get out of the, out of that playing round with Minnesota. Right. So I'm sorry, Isha. I know, you know, you cover the, the wild and you want to see them do well, but I, I got to go with, you know, the Canucks. I really do because I just, you know, we need that first round pick. We really yep. need it. We would like to have it. Um, but I think even having two first round picks is going to be beneficial. And oh, absolutely. Then, it's going to be complicated with those other conditional picks from Arizona and other places. So hopefully it kind of plays out you know, you know, as a, um, as a plan B type of situation where we get two of the three first round picks and we get some picks for next year and we say, okay, we can work with that and that, and go from there. But I mean, if they were able to get three first round picks, you know, for this draft and, and, and go from there would be phenomenal. Um, we obviously part of it has to do with, you know, Arizona making a deep run into the playoffs and then obviously Taylor Hall signing their signing in Arizona long-term. which, you know, what are the chances of him signing long-term there? Uh, Probably not that big, but, you know, know, money sometimes talks, and Taylor Hall has made it clear he's not signing anything but a long-term deal with somebody, which I think is not the smartest decision considering the market 
that it's going to be this year with the, the, the financial situation. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, and I think it'll be interesting to, um, to pay attention to over the next couple of months when we get back to, you know, actually playing and then how everything kind of falls from there. And we still got to figure out who the GM and head coach are. So there's going to be a – this is going to be a very, very big and very franchise-altering offseason for the New Jersey Devils without a doubt. So – just real quick about uh, Taylor Hall. You know, uh, you know, I love I love the guy when he was here. That, that MVP season is something that that was just so magical. But I truly believe that the Devils dodged a bullet when he by by trading him away and him not signing an extension with the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a team is going to pay him way too much money. You know, a team like Calgary is very interested in him. They're going to throw a bunch of money at him with his injury history. And you know, up until the MVP season. He didn't have – he had average NHL numbers for, for his type of talent. And I think that by by bringing in some assets and, and moving him on, it's going to make the Devils a, a better franchise moving forward than they would have been had they signed him long-term. And that's just my opinion. No, and that's a very good point. Look, I have heard over the last couple months that there's some rumblings around the NHL that people consider Taylor Hall to be somewhat of a locker room cancer. Now, I'm not going to say that's true or not. And I'm not going to say that's why the Devils, you know, couldn't make it work with, with, with Taylor Hall while he was here. Because, again, he did something that no other player in this franchise history was able to do and be considered the best player in the entire National Hockey League for one season. That was phenomenal. And did it suck to see him get traded? Of course. But we all knew it was coming. We all knew that there was no way that Ray Shearer was going to be able to keep Taylor Hall long term. And, you know, they were going to, he was going to try to get the best deal that he could. And I think, honestly, the deal he got with Arizona was probably the best he was going to get from anybody. And that's, yep. that's a sad thing because I think we valued, as Devils fans, valued Hall much higher than I think the rest of the league valued him. And I think a lot of people see him as a guy that would be a nice piece to fit into your team, but not a franchise altering type of player. And that's, and I know it's going to be kind of disrespectful to Hall, but I think that that's just kind of true that, you know, even being the best player in New Jersey didn't necessarily mean that the team became, you know, a Stanley Cup contender. Now there are other well, reasons why that wasn't. It's not just Taylor Hall, but that's just that's just something that I looked at. And I heard people say, Oh, what if Taylor Hall, you know, we're hearing that he might want to come back to New Jersey? Well, that's great. That doesn't mean the devils have to sign him. <laughs> that doesn't mean we have to give him the money that he wanted, unless he's willing to take a massive pay cut. I don't really think he's worth $9 million. Well, here, here's the deal. You know, the, the, I think way too much is made of the fact that uh, of him being a good luck charm in the first overall pick. In order to have a chance to get the first overall pick, you have to be a very bad hockey team. The teams that win the first overall pick have the best odds to win the first overall pick. Right. So, you know, the talk of him being a good luck charm in Arizona winning again, it just basically means he played on some very bad teams. Now, right. um, so I, I think too much is kind of made of that. And, and is he a locker room cancer? Who knows? But th- th- is there a success where he goes? I mean, obviously Arizona had it- injuries to their goalies, but th- they were a solid playoff team. And once he arrived, they, they – I mean, they, they could have missed the playoffs had this season um, finished itself out. You do blame uh, Taylor for that? No, but I think a teams start to rely on him too much. And he's a good complimentary piece. But he's not a he's not a, a franchise type player that is going to carry the team on his back, except for 2018. Exactly, I, I think he's more of a guy that if he's around another star player or two, or just 
some other, you know, good players around him, I think he definitely fits in. But it, but to ask him to be the guy that just, you know, changed your entire franchise, I think is, I think is an unrealistic evaluation of Taylor Hall. And I think that's unfair right. on him. And I think, unfortunately, that's what the Devils at times looked at him as. I think they looked at him as the guy that's going to carry the organization. And that's no knock on Taylor Hall. I just don't think he was capable of doing that. It was easier to say that, in my opinion, with someone like Zach Parise because he had been there, he had grown with the organization, and he just had that personality that he was willing to take that on. He was willing to be the face, the guy that we all looked at when it came to the New Jersey Devils. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see where Taylor Hall goes. I think he has to be realistic with the money that he's going to be getting. And it's not just because of his skill set or what he's done in the league. I think it also do with the financial situation because of the COVID, COVID-19 and because, you know, the salary cap is not going to be where it originally was going to be. It's going to be tougher for Taylor Hall to make the money that he's making. And I'm worried that some team is going to massively overpay for him. And I yep. don't think that they should. But I think if, if there's a consensus within the league that he's not worth $9 million, then most likely Taylor Hall is not going to get the big money deal that he was looking for. He may get something within the four to $5 million range. And even then that might be pushing it, especially if you're relying on him to be your number one left winger and try to carry a team, which is not good. So, I mean, it's amazing how much the, the narrative has changed since the summertime when we were as devils fans, people were willing to pay him 11 million, $10 million, $11 million a year to, to sign long-term to, to now you're saying he's, he'd be lucky to get four or 5 million, but that's just the, that is the reality of the situation. And we don't know what the salary cap is going to be. And, and I, and I think he, he and his agent may have, have overvalued, overvalued himself to the point where he may, you know, he may have to settle for a shorter deal. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does this off season. But, uh, but Steve, thank you so much for coming on today and, uh, you know, speaking with us about what's been going on. And uh, I know obviously there isn't much to talk about uh, <laughs> with the season kind of being, you know, basically being over for us, but there's still some things to talk about here and there. But before I let you go, and I do this with all my guests, um, I just want you to kind of, you know, promote yourself, uh, whatever you got going on, what social medias can people check you out on and, and different things like that. So the floor is yours. Yeah, you can follow me at, at fault line hockey on Twitter. Uh, like, like I said, I'm a contributor for pucks and pitchforks. I, uh, had a piece that came out, um, you know, top 10 most bizarre moments from this past season. And I, I got another one coming out talking about the potential captains for the devils. Uh, a lot of great writers on that site. So if you have time and you're a Devils fan, I would suggest checking it out. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast and I, I appreciate this type of form. And you know, I uh, listened to you before and I enjoy it. And, and I'm just happy to be on here with you. Well, we're certainly glad to have you on. And, uh, you know, again, thank you all, you know, for listening today. We greatly appreciate it. And if you want to check out more of this podcast and, and me in general, you could check out this, this podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a new episode coming out every Monday. So every Monday you can look forward to a new episode about whatever we decide to talk about. So you check that out. Follow the Devil's State of Mind podcast Twitter account at Devil State. We also have an Instagram at Devil's State of Mind and a Facebook page as well where you can stay up to date with the latest episodes. And you can follow my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W and my Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. And you can also check out my sports podcast and YouTube channel called Mofobo Network, where I talk about the different topics of the world of sports, not just hockey, but other sports as well. 
So you can go check those out on uh, Spotify and Anchor for the podcast and just on YouTube for the YouTube channel. And last but not least, go check out my book on Amazon.com called J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 which is about the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan or a you know a football fan or just want to support me or just check it out, go see it on Amazon. It's on hardcover and ebook for the price of $19.69. And if you're a Jets fan, you probably know why I chose that. So for Steve Palomo, I'm Neil Del Piano. This has been another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast, and we will see you in the next one. Everyone out there, be safe. Thank you to all the essential workers, and rock on. Woo!